again, lovely listeners. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Overdressed and Underqualified, the podcast where we talk about first job stuff and cool things in the business world. I'm your host, Amanda Alexander, for today's episode with Megan Glover, the CEO and founder of 120 Water Audit. Let's get to it. Uh, so my name is Megan Glover. I'm co-founder and CEO of 120 Water Audit. Uh, 120 Water Audit is a platform um, of cloud-based software and kits that government agencies, public water systems, and facilities use to manage their lead and drinking water program. Megan has been involved in the tech scene for the past 15 years. She actually started at Angie's List in 2005, then worked at Compendium for a handful of years before starting 120 Water Audit with Chris Baggett in 2016. Now, 15 years is a long time to be heavily involved in the tech world, and I was curious as to how she found herself originally in that realm. Uh, so how did I get up uh, involved in the tech scene? Um, kind of by, by accident. I thought I was going to go to law school um, after DePauw and um, went through all the application process. And when it came time to, to figure out what school may be a good fit, I just, it wasn't in me. I just was not motivated to take that next step, which is not not really like me. So I uh, spent a year after school working for DePauw and the annual fund. And during that time, I had the opportunity to travel all across the U.S. And so I would be able to pick my trips and I would pick the most interesting business people and healthcare professionals and stay-at-home moms. And I would just kind of fill my trip with just the most interesting people I could find and learn about their career path. And one of those people was Angie, Angie Hicks. And um, I was kind of fascinated about how do you grow a business from just an idea into... Um, you know, millions of dollars worth of revenue, hundreds of employees. And so I, I applied for a job um, at Angie's List and, and found that I, um, more so than, than tech, just really enjoyed early stage business. You know, when you can see all the functions and you know all of how, you know, sales interacts with customer success and how customer success interacts with renewals and operations. And, and so it was just really interesting to see kind of that whole view of business. And it was kind of that experience that really got me excited about um, early stage tech companies in Indy. During her time working for Angie's List and for Compendium, Megan learned the value of being close to an executive team early and the benefits of sales and marketing. I think one, a big lesson learned was, uh, so I was staying on the, the, the brand enforcement. I mean, there were a number of times where I would have to prepare documents directly for the CFO. And I, I remember uh, one time, he came down from kind of the executive offices with his paper in hand, and he circled all these different things. And he said, "He said, you know, my high schooler could have could have written this better." He's like, "You know, we have to really make sure that we, you know, I, I forget what he, you know, the, the point was there, but it was kind of it was one of those wake up calls where, oh my gosh, um, my work my work can actually touch the executives, and um, we're not in school anymore. You know what I mean? It, it's the there's just a different level of professionalism and the way to approach things in the business." world. So I think having that exposure to like the C-suite at an early age is really important because it opens your eyes to how things 
are operated and the expectations that are put on executives. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the other tactical experience that I, I realized that I, I personally loved was sales and marketing. So being able to not only do marketing, which I kind of had natural bend for, but um, actually having a quota and selling something. And um, I, I now say to anybody who ever wants to go in marketing, do sales first or at least sell something because that's the only way you're going to actually become a well-rounded marketer. Why do you say that? Why sales first? Other than learning how to sell yourself and that's marketing touches that, but what are some of the tangible skills that you get from sales that you need to have in order to go kind of add to marketing? Yeah. I think my bend on it is um, marketing exists to, to serve the customer and know what the customer needs before they do in some extent. And so by being on the front line of sales, you intercept a lot of potential customer and eventually customer feedback that oftentimes those loops don't inherently exist in marketing organizations. You can go seek out case studies and feedback. Um, But when you're on the front line selling, very natural conversation comes out in those conversations. You know, what keeps you up at night? You know, what, um, how could my, how could my solution help, you know, make you sleep better? How could my solution help you be a rock star? You know, help me help you. Like those conversations just naturally happen in sales are like marketing gold. And I think to the extent marketers can tap into that, um, you know, content creation becomes easier and more relevant. They understand, you know, they can put themselves in the persona of the buyer and it's just a useful tool. Now, let's fast forward a few years to when Megan started 120 Water Audit. Like many entrepreneurial stories you'll hear, she didn't have the intention of starting her own company. That was until she found a problem she knew she needed to solve. Yeah, the thought process was um, honestly just an idea. Uh, We did not, there was no business plan. There was no business model. There was honestly no futuristic thought beyond... um, um, it was 2016, really early in 2016, and it was the height of the Flint water crisis. And the short of it is there's a uh, distressed town in a uh, suburb of Detroit called Flint, Michigan. And in 2016, it was uncovered that there was um, toxic levels of lead throughout the town. And it was um, absolutely preventable. And a lot of people at the utility where their number one job is actually to provide safe drinking water knew that the water had the potential to be corrosive and poison a lot of people. And they let dollar and cents get in the way of action. And what happened is, again, you just have a, a lot of unfortunate public health outcomes now that will never, never be repaired. So I was 35 at the time and, and watching the news unfold and, you know, you, watching these kids get their blood drawn and, and their, you know, lead level tested. And I was grabbing coffee at that same time with Chris Baggett, who had been a mentor of mine throughout my career. And I actually thought we were going to go talk about Cluster Truck because he was starting Cluster Truck at the exact same time and we were going to talk marketing. But he, he, you know, he asked me a question as we were kind of just catching up and he said, you know, have you been paying attention to the news? And I said, of course, how can you not? And then he knew I had two young kids at the time and he said, "Um, have you ever thought about testing your water? 35 years old, living in Indiana, we have water. Uh, We are a state that has an abundance of water. 
and I pay a citizen's water bill every month, so I assume that I'm getting safe and clean water. And so anyway, after that question, I just kind of the, the sales and marketer in me went to the internet and I started to do a bunch of addressable market research and search, say, you know, how would I test my water? Nothing came up where I, as a consumer, would want to put in my credit card. And so the next day I called citizens and I said, you know, do you... Um, you know, can I get a test? I'm, I'm interested in testing my water. And they didn't provide that service. And uh, they referred me to a page, um, a government page with a bunch of labs. And I called the labs and I said, you know, I'd like to get my water tested. And they said, well, what for? And I said, lead. And they said, well, the, our drinking water panel is $3,500. I, well, I don't have $3,500 to spend just on like one tap, like my kitchen faucet. And I wanted to test my kids' schools because they spend more time at school than they do at home. So, you know, based on kind of just my frustrated as a, a as a parent and a water consumer, I went back to Chris and I said, I, I think there's something here. I don't know what it is, but at the very least, we need to, you know, um, launch a easy to use, very similar 23andMe um, way where every consumer can test their water. So myself, Chris, and we had um, one other business partner who owned a couple of labs. We threw in, um, you know, a little bit of money and uh, brought 120 Water Audit to life within six weeks. At the very start, 120 Water Audit was only skin and bones. The skin being word of mouth and basic advertising and the bones being the kit itself. It was literally just the kit. Right. It was a um, actually very well engineered. I mean, kudos. And it may have been seven weeks when it was all said and done, but it certainly wasn't two months. And actually, I would say that's kudos to the team that we had supporting both my um, branding and digital team and whatnot. I picked a lot of great partners that I had worked with in the past and, and former VP of marketing roles. So, no, you know, having partners that you could work with, you knew how fast they could move. You knew how to you know, pull the levers to make them uh, go fast helped. But it was bare bones. It was literally just put in a credit card on our Shopify site. Our kit gets drop shipped to you, fill up the bottle. It goes back to the lab and an email gets sent to you within 14 days. It was literally just that linear experience. And when she says it was a linear experience, she's not joking. So the kit itself actually was just a plastic bottle in a box. And um, I didn't know anything about uh, shipping and logistics when we launched 120 Water Audit. So the initial box was um, about three times as big as it needed to be. Um, the bottle, I could tell this story, is so funny to me. Um, the first time we actually, was it, we were able to pitch a public water system. So we'll I'm sure we'll talk about the pivot uh, to B2B in a minute. Um, the water uh, utility program manager who oversees the water quality looked at the bottle and said, you know, I can't use that for my compliance events, right? So we had an out of compliant bottle. We had a box that was three times too big, but it worked, right? We were able to collect a water sample. It went to the lab and it got analyzed um, authentically and, and accurately, but it was very, it was, it was clunky. Um, the branding was great though. But, uh, but it was, it was definitely a, a gen one, if you will, of our kits. From beginning to end, the kit and services has improved in quality. But the one thing Megan and team made sure they did well from the very beginning was the marketing of their brand. Brand actually is something we didn't really skimp on um, because we knew that going direct to the consumer, it was important for the consumer to understand. That was one of the biggest lessons learned. So I did end up getting my, my water tested by a lab and my, my children's school tested by a lab. 
And um, if anybody's ever gotten lab results back, whether they're for blood or water, you almost need to have some sort of degree in science to interpret it. Like I remember calling up the lab director who we had had, we had a lab partner at the time. So it was at least a free call at that point. And I just said, can I make easy Mac with this? Like, help me, help me understand. Like I see these numbers on a page, but are they good? Are they bad? Are they neutral? So the, the branding and the customer friendly nature of that and how we deliver the information was, was very important. At first, 120 Water Audit was a simple business-to-consumer e-commerce venture, depending on social media to bring awareness to their product. Easy money, little effort. But things didn't go exactly as planned. That failed. I mean, the only three people who bought a kit after it launched were myself, Chris, and my mom. We had a ton of social buzz, but that buzz did not translate into orders. The only inbound interest that we actually got were from uh, B2B, so public water systems, and we had an inbound from a school system that said, you know, a lot's changing with these lead regulations, um, either in the case of the water system, they're like, we actually have a problem, and I I can't fulfill all of these requests that I'm getting. And with the school system, they said, I, we know we're going to have to test. We know that the state's going to make us. I want to get my arms around. Like, what am I going to find? And so um, I had been been uh, paying attention to all of the Google alerts daily that were uh, coming into the inbox about the changing the regulations of water and particularly the testing of lead and water. And so we knew that, that this industry as a whole was on the precipice of change. And so we were able to um, get our kits and our services in front of a couple of water systems and schools and they purchased it and we decided to pivot the business to industry. From that pivot, Megan knew they had landed in a much better place to actually make an impact. You know, you you work with enough early stage companies that when you get unsolicited inbound inquiries, you know there's something special there. I knew that there was something special there and and, and being more naturally focused on the B2B because my background had really been B2B software and, and B2B companies at that point. I was excited to explore that. I will tell you though, the industry itself on the onset was very intimidating. I mean, when you think about going into an industry like water, when your background is marketing and sales and B2B software, they don't take to outsiders very well. So it was for every, I would say, good call, I had a bad call in terms of, you know, doing market research and trying to say, hey, if if we were to kind of bring the solution to market to help you execute this event, would you buy it? I mean, I had people laugh at me like, that's a, that's a crazy idea. Why, why would you ever want to do that? You know, and while, you know, in the back of your mind, you're thinking this is something special when someone raises their hand and reaches out to you to go into a net new market like water was very intimidating. That inbound lead was enough to make Megan realize they were filling a need. And this was also something that made her realize there was a market for the software side of things. The reason why we are a software company is um, when we started getting those inbound customers and realized that there may be a fit and we started to do the programs at the schools and the water systems, I was the one physically doing the programs, like going to the school, mapping the school. I was shipping out the kits and sending them to Pittsburgh. 
and I would ask my um, my customers, okay, where where is your database or where can I put this data so that you can distribute the results? You know, where are you keeping your customer information? Where are you, you know, keeping your lead sampling information? And they either did not have existing systems or their systems were um, Excel sheets paper records. They were in a closed installed database from the 1990s. They might have been in, in GIS or so so their data and how they managed it were, were all across the board. And so I said to them, I said, you know, if we were to if we were to bring some sort of solution that helps you not only manage the data, but actually execute and kind of automate some of these processes, because I, I told my business partners after we did a few um, of these programs, I said, this is the most manual work I've done in my entire career. So we prototyped a piece of software and we had probably less than $5,000 in the bank, maybe $5,000 in the bank. And we, we took it to a conference. And we said, if we can come home with a contract, then we'll try to go raise money to fund the software side of the business and, and kind of start down that path. And we did. So we've come a long way since that wireframe. But what's interesting is our actual, actual real funding event was we were at a conference in the state of Indiana. Serendipitously was there and they were getting ready to start a program and they saw our prototype and they pre-purchased uh, the software for the entire state. Serendipitously is the Indiana Finance Authority. At that time, they were preparing to do a lead in schools program for the public schools of the state of Indiana and actually actively looking for a software database solution. I happened to be sitting in a program around lead. And after that program was done, I went to the front and I raised my hand. And I said, I need to talk to you because I think I have a solution that I want you to see. And that ended up being a, a great, a great fit. So essentially what our software does is we are essentially enterprise cloud-based software that states and water systems and facilities use to manage these water programs. What we say turnkey from start, middle to end. So not only do we um, start by aggregating the data through manual imports, through API integrations, but then once we have that data in there, we're able to apply the programmatic workflows that actually help them run the programs. And that's inclusive of our kits. And then finally, all of the results and data goes back into our platform to complete the compliance event, whether that's the customer notifications or the statewide reporting. The way I like to describe it to like non-compliance or, or water folks is we want to be the hub spot of water. Now they aren't only in the state of Indiana. They stretch across the United States and don't intend on stopping there. We are national, so we're in 14 states currently. You know, we work, you know, our, our contacts and contracts include not only statewide contracts, but cities like City of Chicago, Newark, Pittsburgh, Providence. So we're working on very, very large scale, high, highly complex programs. The, the interesting thing about water is water is a non-competitive global problem. The U.S.'s problem with water quality is the same water quality problem that Canada has and the U.K. has. So unlike any other industry that I've been a part of, it actually, for as large as it is, it's actually very small because the problems are all the same. We recently raised a Series A round of funding, and that is not only to expand the capabilities within our software to go way far beyond lead, but into the, the areas of most critical need in water, which are programs that we can manage in water quality, infrastructure, water safety, and public transparency. That's all across the U.S. and then eventually globally. 
120 Water Audit was founded on bettering people's lives, or at least helping them take a step in that direction. To me, this screams social entrepreneurship, and I was only further validated in this conviction when Megan answered how they measure their success as a company. We uh, we are we have an impact, so we call it kind of an impact focused organization. So one of the metrics that we track as an organization are how many how many taps, whether you're a drinking water fixture or a kitchen tap, um, has our software been implemented in to manage. We are up to 175,000 taps across the U.S. in 14 states, and that's impacted over 5 million lives. So, for example, we have statewide contracts in Indiana, Maryland, New Mexico, South Dakota, where every single school facility is using our software or a portion of their school facilities, depending on the law to make sure that lead levels are an appropriate level for those populations. It's important not only to who we raise capital from, it's important to who we recruit to be members of our team. Honestly, it's what keeps us going. You know, for every no, you know, I had to step back, you know, early on and say, why am I doing this? And at the end of the day, it's all about the social impact. Because especially when you have kids, you you think about things differently. And it just became very important to me that if there was a way that I could contribute to this massive problem where there are solutions, then that's what I wanted to do with, uh, with my career. The most difficult hurdle that Megan had to overcome was actually entering the water industry and getting people to pay attention to her company. Like any business, it's hard to get up off the ground at first, but no one had ever done something like this before. It took her passion and her own belief to convince others. Entrepreneurship is a roller coaster. I mean, the highs are highs and the lows are, are really, really low. You know, I would say as, as a business... We're, we're a non-obvious success. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, I knew early on or I wouldn't have quit my day job to not take us out. I mean, like literally I went, you know, a year and a half without getting paid, right? So I wouldn't have put everything on the line if I didn't think there was something here. But trying to convince the community, trying to convince investors that you should actually pay attention and invest in a company that sells to government and that is largely funded by federal environmental grants and that yes, contracts may take a year to close and yes, we get a lot of them through RFPs and like honestly, all of the things that that the traditional funders tell you to run away from. Oh, and we're a blended margin business. We have both software and kits. So I, I will say that was really difficult. And I think, you know, the turning point for us was when we we won the the Steve Case Rise of the Rest leg for Indianapolis and kind of validated that a business like ours deserves a shot. And, you know, and from that, I think we started to get a little bit more validation with the investor community. And then every contract that we would get was more validation in the industry. And then honestly, the hardest thing has just been patiently executing the steps that you need to to break in. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Overdressed and Underqualified. We hope that you guys are enjoying this entrepreneurial theme of episodes that we have. Like always, we will be coming back at you with a mini-sode. We hope that you guys will enjoy those as well. 
And from me and the rest of the overdressed and underqualified podcast team, we all hope that you guys are staying safe, staying healthy, and are hopefully finding a little bit of distraction by listening to our episodes. Today's credit for music goes to Anaconda Snake Hunter with Pistol Jazz. (laughs) 